Must have got on the wrong plane yesterday. No, hey, we're so glad you're here today. We're so glad you came out and braved the, the snow and the ice and now the rain, which I don't quite get yet. Uh, but we're glad you're here. We are so excited about this morning and the next few weeks. We're in this series called It's Just a Phase. We're going to be talking about kids and parents and parenting and all kinds of fun stuff within that. And so this morning, we're going to introduce a new element to you that I've been at Kensington for two years. I haven't seen yet. It's called Kensington Karaoke. And so this is something... That if you remember the four letters, T-G-I-F, this wasn't a hashtag. This was something we lived in pre-DVR and Netflix. I know, that's rare. But it was these shows that we used to watch growing up that we would love and we'd even sing along to. And so we have a montage of some different show openers. The words are going to be on the side. And we just encourage you to sing along and embrace your inner awkward middle schooler this morning. It's a rare condition this day and age to read any good news on the newspaper page. And love and tradition of the grand design, some people say it's even harder to find. Well, then there must be some magic clue inside these gentle walls. Just sit right there, I'll tell you how I became the prince of a town called Bel Air. In West Philadelphia, born and raised on the playground is where I spent most of my days. Chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cool and all shooting some b-ball outside of the school. When a couple of guys who were up to no good started making trouble in my neighborhood. I got in one little fight and my mom got scared and said, you're moving with your auntie and uncle in Bel Air. I whistled for a cab and when it came near, the license plate said, fresh it a dice in the mirror. If anything, I can say that this cab was rare, but I thought, man, forget it, yo, home to Bel Air. I pulled up to the house about seven or eight And I yelled to the cabbie, yo, home, smell you later Looked at my kingdom, I was finally there To sit on my throne as the Prince of Bel-Air I feel like I need to be eating cereal right now like in my pajamas on the couch. Maybe that's just me. I'm sorry. But they did Family Matters. We were missing a little Urkel there, I wish. That one right there. I think there are some of you in the crowd, if you were born in, in 1980 or around there like me, that you could probably rap that song better than Will Smith. 
uh, because it's that fun. Uh, we really want to go over the next few weeks and talk about what it was like when we were kids, how we can parent, how we can be intentional in our parenting, and all of the things that go around the phases that we go through in life. And so we're hope, we're glad you're here today. We got a few things to give you a heads up on. The first thing is this: uh, if you haven't been around Kensington for a long time, one of the things we like to do is celebrate. We like to throw a party. Last weekend we threw a Super Bowl party. This weekend we want to celebrate something that's happened over the last few weeks. And it, who here has been involved with our warming center? Anybody in the room? You go to the warming center over the yeah. So this is a ministry that we do with a partnership with Genesis Church. And over the last few weeks, what we've been doing is we've been serving the homeless in downtown Royal Oak. Now, Kensington has a, has a re- relationship with them. And so just a few stats. This is our sixth year hosting at Genesis. There's 80 to 100 guests per night uh, that stay there and get a meal and a devotion and prayer. Uh, we, our Kensington kids were, took an offering, did a, a guys versus girls challenge. I think the guys won. And I, I want to say they raised over $350 uh, for our guests at the warming center. Over 300 volunteers from Kensington uh, donated clothes, gave devotions, made lunches, and served dinner. And just a couple of stories that came out of this. One was there was a lady who was volunteering. And I guess uh, she told one of our staff there that she had been homeless five years ago. And now she serves our guests who don't have homes. And so in that, she was able to provide them care. She could provide them empathy. And she really wanted to give back. Another story was one of our guests came in with, with two $10 gift certificates from Leo's Coney Island to give back to the other people that were there. And he said his friend worked there at Leo, so he could eat there whenever he wanted, but he wanted to donate back to the people that were there that didn't have as much as he did. And so I hear stories like that, and I just even know in your lives what God has done through that for those of you that served. And so make sure that you jump into serving opportunities like this. This is just a great opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And I want to say thank you, Kensington, Birmingham, for stepping up in this and providing 300 volunteer spots uh, to our warming shelter down in Genesis Royal Oak. Great job with that. So we're in this, this phase thing and we're talking about parenting. And so we thought what a great time to host an experience called intentional parenting. Now this is a six to eight week small group that meets on site in the building starting March 4th with our, with our discipleship director and former K kids director, Jenny Warren's leading it. And I got to tell you this, this curriculum and material is awesome. It's meant to be done in community. It's the tagline is parenting fixes that are not so easy in a quick fix world. And we know if you have had kids, like if you've babysat kids, you understand parenting is difficult. And so what this class and experience wants to give you is the opportunity to be in community with other people, talking about parenting, talking about life uh, and learning how to do it uh, in God's way uh, with each other. And so uh, there's a table out there. We'd love to get you to sign up for that. Uh, Jenny is going to be leading that. And so get plugged in before the spots are full. And like I said, that's on uh, service time. So that's at 11 a.m. is when that's going to meet. So childcare is provided. And I think there's coffee and donuts in the lobby. So we're good to go on that. Uh, last thing is we're talking about kids and students. And so a few things you need to know at Kensington is we have a phenomenal kids program in K-Kids and a phenomenal student ministries with high school and middle school uh, here on site. And so we have Breakaway, our middle school ministry, back right behind us in one of our, our rooms back there. We've Edge on Sunday nights and we have a great event called Breakaway United. Now, if you're the parent of a middle school, you got to hear me. We have postponed our Breakaway United for tonight. We realize that yellow buses and middle schoolers and ice don't mix. And so we've postponed that to next weekend. And we've also canceled Edge tonight. Teen drivers on roads like this when it's supposed to get worse is not a good thing. So we'd love for you to check that out. Just not tonight. Uh, we'll be talking about that more through this series. And so just to give you some heads up on that. Hey, what we want to do now is give you a minute just to kind of stand up, connect with those around you, ask them how many times they've shoveled in the last 24 hours. And we'll be back in a moment. Hey, good morning, everyone. My name's Josh. Don't get too comfortable. I actually want to invite you to stand right where you're at. Um, yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> 
We're so glad you're here. Like Bill said, we've got a great hour or so um, planned and in store. We're believing that God has something special for each and every one of us. Um, and so we thought that we would continue and start our day just singing together. Um, we love to sing as a church, um, but more than that, we believe that worship is our response to who God is and to what he's doing. Um, and again, we're so glad you're here as people are coming in. Make your way in, grab a seat. Um, I want to just let you know that we put the words on the screen. So if you're new and maybe you don't know these songs, we'll put those up there. And our prayer uh, as a team is that these words would resonate in your heart. And as we sing, we begin to understand that these things can become true in our lives. And so whether you know it or not, um, throughout the whole Bible, we get this crystal clear picture of who God is. And we're going to sing a song right now that references two of those images. One is that God is the lion. God is the, um, the leader, the protector, the defender, and the victor. And then we also see God as the lamb, the sacrificial lamb that paid the ultimate price to take away our sins so that we could be together with him and have a relationship. So we're excited that you're here. We hope you're excited that you're here. We're going to sing together now. So let's do that. Let's get excited and sing back to God for who he is.
were talking about earlier, we believe that worship is our response to God for who he is and what he's done. And one of the ways that we respond is how we just did such a beautiful, sweet, sweet moment where our voices and our hearts aligned and say one message to God. How beautiful your name, how powerful your name, how wonderful your name. We get to do that together. So there's other forms that this takes too. And one of the ways that um, we believe that we can worship and respond to God is through our giving, through our generosity. So right now I'm going to invite our ushers down. You guys can go ahead and just quietly take a seat where you're at. So I want you to know that if God is the creator of the universe and the creator of you and me and the chair that you're sitting in and the breath that you're breathing right now, we acknowledge that he's freely given to us. And so we want to freely give in return. And we bless him by that. We bless his name that way when we respond in the way that we do through our generosity. And so this is your first time here. We believe that today is our gift to you. So don't feel compelled to give if you don't want to. But if Kensington is your home, this is your opportunity to worship with a grateful heart. Respond to God for who he is and what he's done in your life and in our church. And give generously to building the kingdom here in this area of Metro Detroit. So in a minute, we're going to continue and get into our, our brand new series, which is all about family. And again, we're so glad that you're here and gathered as a family here at Kensington, Birmingham. Um, and then just as we give right now, we do that with cheerful hearts. And we're going to continue our service in just a moment. She'll be fine. All right, hold still, honey. Here we go. Yeah, there it is. Okay, let's take a look. Oh, it's not too bad. Just a scratch. I think she needs stitches. Stop. I know, I know. I'm so sorry, honey. Girls can be mean. Be careful. And remember, everyone out there is an idiot. Ugh. Honey, you look so beautiful. What's his name? Seriously? Look at you. My goodness. Honey, we're really proud of you. Okay, you're going to do great. I'll FaceTime you around four every day. (laughs) We'll see about that. Are you okay? Yeah, I'll, I'll be fine. It just went so fast. I know. I know. watch that video, I get a little lump in my throat when it's running through those early stages, first day of school, and and then it gets into the more scary ones about kids being mean to them. I'm not ready for that phase yet, I don't think, with my little girls. We're so glad you're here with us today. Thank you for braving the weather. hope that your drive-in was safe, yet adventurous. It's interesting, though, when we think about stepping into a series about the family, you look at our culture. And this is something I ran into a lot when I was a young adults pastor and then, and then uh, a lead pastor as well, which is if you think about before people get married, think about all the time, all the energy, all the resources, all the money, all the appointments, all the hours, all the preparation, all of the mental anguish and energy that goes into the wedding day. And then the day is over and it's like, great, now we're married. Now what? Everything should be easy from this point on because the hard work of being engaged and planning a wedding, that's all done, right? Now we're married. This is the easy part. And we all chuckle quietly to ourselves. 
Oh, if we only knew then what we know now. And you think about pregnancy. And you think about that journey and, and the sickness and the, and the home improvement projects and the showers and, and all the gifts and all the time and all the, the preparation for the day of the delivery. And then you leave the hospital and you go home. You're like, okay, well, the difficulty of pregnancy and, and delivery is over. Now, it's the easy part. I just get to raise this child. All the hard work is gone. Or, or for those of you like us that, that have uh, children that you've adopted, all of the, the court appearances and all the forms to fill out and all the background checks and all the, the home visits and all the expense and all that stuff. It's like, oh, great. It's gotcha day. We get our little girl and we're home and that's great. I know it's ridiculous and anyone who's in the room today is like, yeah, right, man. That's when the work really begins. But it's not really what we're prepared for. We prepare for the moment, not the journey. Most of our time is spent for the ceremony, not, not what happens after, not the story after. It's interesting when we think about it that way, to think about how much time we spend getting ready for those moments and how little time we spend getting ready for the journey of our lives after, whether it be marriage or parenting. Today we're going to not only talk about different phases of parenting, but we're also going to kind of juxtapose it against the story of the nation of Israel. And what I love about the Bible and what I get so much encouragement from when I read the Bible is that the Bible is not full of stories of people that were awesome parents or awesome leaders or awesome guys. I mean, there and and women, there's a lot of brokenness, a lot of failure, a lot of doubt, a lot of insecurity, a lot of struggle. And if you look at the nation of Israel, it starts with the man that God chose to be the father of the entire nation. He chose a man who was already old, had a wife, and they had no children. So we're off to a great start. You're starting a people group and you're already too old to do it. It's like, well, God's up to something already. And then even through Abraham and Sarah's journey... You know, they had to trust God because God made this promise that was ridiculous. I mean, she was post-menopause. So so medically, this is going to have to be some sort of a crazy miracle for something to happen. And yet, the entire chosen people of God, the nation of Israel, it's all based on one couple who had gone through an incredible season of infertility only to have a promise from God that you're going to have a son And that son is going to be who this entire nation comes through. So think about the pressure. Think about the pain. Anyone out there who's gone through a season of infertility in your life, or you want a child, it just doesn't happen. My wife and I were married nine years before we adopted our first child. So I'm thinking nine years. I was 33 years old when when we adopted Lily as a a little 10-week-old baby. And I think about that, and I'm like, wow, I was 33. And I felt like... The clock was ticking for me in that sense. And to put myself in Abraham's shoes and to be nearly a hundred years old before the baby arrives, talk about being the oldest guy at the parenting class. I already feel that way now, but my goodness, poor Abe. So what I love to think about though is that this is a this Bible, our faith is built on people that were imperfect and struggled and had a lot to learn. So that gives me a lot of hope and a lot of encouragement because God met them, God chose them to do incredible things in spite of themselves, in spite of themselves. So the series we're starting today, we want to help you learn and apply specific principles that will help you navigate each season of your child's life. And I want to also remind you that you are not alone. We're in this together. We're in this together. The whole point of this series is to realize that once that baby is given to you or that child's in your hands, you're not alone. And sometimes we can feel so alone, like, oh, nobody else's kid does this or nobody else's child has this problem or this issue. And our tendency, because of insecurity, is to kind of go underground with that issue. I also recognize there's a lot of different families here, a lot of different stages of life. Maybe for you, you're, you know, you've had several biological children. It was never an issue for you, uh, and that's kind of where you're at. Uh, others of us, like me, our journey was more, a little more complicated in the sense that, that uh, we adopted three children. Some of you are in that season of infertility where you want children. It's just not happening. Others of you are single and would like to be married. Others of you are married and would like to be single. Sorry, that's a bad joke, and I should not have said that. We're not going to say it in the second service. Um, but whatever season of life that you're in, isn't it amazing how you find yourself looking to the next phase as being relief? 
You look to the next stage. I remember being single, being like, man, if I just get engaged, the things will be better. And then when I was engaged, I was like, man, I just can't wait to be married. Then I'm married. I'm like, boy, I can't wait to have kids. You know, it's like we're always looking to the next stage and the next phase. And if we do that, we miss so much that God has for us in the very current stage and phase that we're in. So I just want to start with pointing out a few phases. These are going to seem so intuitive. You're going to be like, wow, this is like Captain Obvious reporting for duty here, okay? But I just want to walk through them a little bit. Uh, And the first phase that we have in the life of a child is the embrace phase. Embrace phase. And this is birth to five years old. And this is that idea of embracing their physical needs. Embracing their physical needs. Now, I was supposed to do this first, and I just realized I skipped over it. Um, But I want to show you a picture of my family when I was a little guy. Uh, Sorry, Ali, I'll make you jump back there. This is like circa 1980. This is me in the middle in a white polyester three-piece suit. Just rocking it. Thing still fits me to this day. No, it's it barely fit then. Uh, of course, they gave me a white, gave a four-year-old boy a white suit. Think about that, parents. Like, was that smart? You know how much trouble I got in every Sunday after church when I would slide down the hill on my knees. It was terrible. So, that's my father. Uh, that's my sister Candy. Uh, my sister Lori, and that's my mom who passed away in two thousand uh, six of cancer. Uh, but that's my family right there, and uh, that I grew up in, and that's in New Jersey. And then this is a picture of my current uh, wife and three little girls. My wife Angela, the little one in the front left there is Harley. She just turned two. That's Lily in the back. She's eight, and that's London sitting in front of me. She is six. Beautiful. Oh man, I can't even look at that picture. Uh, I love those girls. I love my family. Okay, so first stage, embrace, physical safety. Now, this is like zero to kindergarten-ish, okay? Birth to five years old, embrace their physical needs. This makes a lot of sense, right? Safety is our biggest concern, meeting their physical needs, making sure they're okay. A few months ago, in fact, on December 14th, I believe it was, uh, I was getting ready to speak at uh, Kensington Troy. We were doing a run-through of our Christmas service on the stage with the entire staff. It's this big premiere. I was super excited. I was all wired up. In fact, if I'm being totally honest, I was wearing the exact same outfit that I'm wearing right now, ironically enough, um, because this was my Christmas shirt, but I figured two months is enough time to bring it back. Anyway, uh, so I'm getting ready to go, and I get a call from my wife, desperately saying, you know, you got to get to the hospital. Harley had an allergic reaction, and she was in the ER, and I just remember getting there and screaming words I can't repeat to you at Apple Maps, because it got me somehow spun around in the journey to St. Joe's and Pontiac, because uh, my wife was at my uh, in-law's house, and I get there, and Harley just had hives all over her, a little two-year-old. And I just remember her eyes were so scared. And I just remember driving the whole way there, be like, God, please, please keep her safe. I don't know what's going on. Please protect her, protect her, God. Please keep her safe. My heart was broken and bleeding for this sweet little girl, and she had an allergic reaction to a cashew. And so apparently she's allergic to tree nuts, not peanuts. So that's a, that's a distinction that we have to live with now. But um, this embrace phase is asking two questions. Am I loved and am I safe? Am I loved and am I safe? Second phase, the engage phase, the engage phase. Okay. This is that K to fifth grade. All right. So this is Lily in London for me. Uh, London's in first grade. Lily's in second grade. And this is that idea of engaging their interest. All right. So this, this is that moment where they ask the question, do I have what it takes? Do you see me dad? Do you see me mom? Are you watching me? This happened yesterday at our house. It was, it was a glorious like snow day after the snow day. And uh, so I was uh, sitting at the table with the girls and we're coloring together, all of us. You know, I'd forgotten how much, you know, I kind of walked away from coloring in like 1981, kind of moved on. Man, it's kind of fun now. I used to always struggle to stay within the lines. Now it's no problem. I'm like, why did I abandon this? I'm pretty good at this now. 
but we're coloring pictures together and I'm signing and giving to the girls. And then London is like putting on the greatest showman soundtrack and choreographing dances. And every two seconds, dad, 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 watch dad. See me. Do you see that cool jump I did? And then Lily's going, dad, look at what I did here. I put a sticker on this and, and London and Harley's just next to me, just wrecking some other picture with a crayon. I'm like, London, you're not in the engage phase. You're still in the embrace phase. Okay. No. Uh, but all, all three of my girls were with me and we were having this incredible time. Went out in the snow and again, dad, look at my snow angel. Dad, look at me. Go down the slide. Dad, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Watch me. Watch me. Do you see me? It's that moment where we can start to show them that they matter. Show them that they have what it takes. They seek out your parents' attention. And they make sure that I'm engaged. A couple nights ago, we were watching a movie in the basement. And uh, I got an email. And so I was quickly answering it from my phone. And Lily was like, Dad, you said you wanted to watch a movie with us. I was like, whoa, busted, man. And at the same time, she was sitting sideways watching the movie and doing a sketch, like a sketch artist for a police. So I was like, busted. The sketch had me holding a phone. So I was like, I need to destroy this evidence. That's never happened before. Me being on the phone around my kids. Just kidding. Mobilize phase is the next one. This is, excuse me, no, I skipped one. Sorry. It's uh, a firm phase. There it is. This is middle school. Now, the end of my parenting, like my kids are in that engaged phase. Now, a firm phase. So now, speaking as a former youth pastor and a former junior higher myself, uh, this is the affirm phase. This is junior high, sixth to eighth grade. Now, it's time for us to start affirming their journey. Affirming their journey. Now, their identity is starting to take shape. They're asking questions like, am I liked? Who am I? It's time for us to shape who they are and they're inventing themselves and for us to affirm them during a complicated journey. If you think about your own life, you think about when were the moments that some of the insecurities started to appear? When were the moments where you started to wonder, wow, maybe I'm not as good at sports as I've always thought I was. Or, or wow, maybe, maybe this girl doesn't like me or this guy. Whatever it is, you start, those insecurities start to arrive during this affirm phase. So as parents, we've got this incredible opportunity to speak life and to affirm them and let them know, no, you do have what it takes. No, you are likable. We love you. And you're helping to sort of form their identity during a very complicated season of their lives. And then we get to the mobilized phase. This is ninth through 12th grade. This is that time where we get to start mobilizing their potential. Start mobilizing their potential. They're asking questions like, do I belong? And what do I believe? What do I believe? And then the question, what do I want to do with my life? I mean, for me, I started to become, I've said this before in here, but I I started to feel crippled by that question. I was obsessed with the future. I I almost felt debilitated by the idea. I've got to make a choice right now to decide what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Then I've got to live with that. I watched my dad get up and go to a job every day for my entire growing up. I'm like, is that what he always wanted to do? He's a couple times let it leak that he wished he was a veterinarian or maybe a pastor or something. He had a few other career aspirations that he, that he thought about and that he, that he liked as well. And I was like, boy, that, that just made me feel more like, man, he made a choice and he's sticking with it. And there's no way out. So I started to really, really get obsessed with the future. I remember being 13 years old, laying in bed, staring at the ceiling, feeling just anxiety about what I was going to do with my life. I know that's weird. I've spent time in ministry with 25-year-olds that are done with college. Like, yeah, I still don't know what I want to do. I'm like, I have no way of relating to you. 25, my goodness. So, so I know everyone's wired differently. Everyone's got a, a just, they're put together in a different way. But for me, it was that, that question, that mobilized phase. One of the things we could do as parents during this phase, and again, I spent years in student ministry walking along these ninth through 12th graders. And one of the beautiful things is that now you can start to set them free to risk, set them free to adventure, help them get that first job, send them on a trip, send them off to camp. Give them a chance to fail. Make sure their faith is pushed and pulled and it belongs to them. Because the scariest thought is is when they leave your home after 12th grade, is the stuff that you poured into them going to stay? Are they going to decide to follow the direction that you've prayerfully led them in? The mobilized phase. This is the time to dream with them and to challenge them and to set them free to risk. Encourage them to step into their potential. Now, here's one thought, a thought that we are needed in each of these phases. 
But when I say we are needed, I don't just mean parents. I mean we, the local church, and parents. We are needed together. Remember, parents, you're not in this alone. We're in this together. So we are needed in each phase. I've got a friend of mine who's got a bunch of kids. And, uh, and he has shared with me before. He's like, I like my kids when they're young. And I don't know what to say to them when they're older. And they've got so many kids. He's always had one of the kids at the right age. So he's highly engaged with the little ones. And then the high schoolers and stuff. He's more like, I don't really know what to say to them. And so he disengages from them. And as you can imagine, it's caused quite a few problems in their family. Because, because he, likes that, he likes that initial phase, that, 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 uh, the engage phase and the embrace phase. But when you get to that mobilize or, or the pushing and pulling and, and, and the risking and adventure, that, that's more of a struggle for him. So we need to be present in each phase. But the other thing is, let's not be so quick to say, I wish this phase or this stage was done. Because as the well-worn cliche goes, the days are long, but the years are short. Anyone who's had a kid grow up, go through their house and move out, can anyone affirm that that's true? Anybody? Okay, there's hands up all over the room. So when that day and that your kid is screaming their brains out and won't do a nap or won't do anything, and you're like, what is going on with this child? I'm not saying this just happened two days ago, but maybe it did. I'm like, what? who are you? Man, that's just going to be a fleeting moment. And I'm going to look back someday and be like, remember? You see those pictures? You're like, they're so little. I just want to squeeze them. These are all just phases and you don't want to miss them. We're called as parents to be engaged. So here's what I love. I love to look at scripture. I love to see, is there, is there a blueprint? Is there a challenge from God's word where we have something to look to as far as how to navigate this season? And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to see the story of Moses challenging the nation of Israel to lead the next generation in the right direction. And here's, here's what I want to say. I want to develop a little bit of the context here just so you could feel the pain and the urgency of this moment in this text. So, those of you who know this story and those of you who don't. So God chose Abraham to be the father of a great nation. He and his wife, Sarah, the way past childbearing years, had a son named Isaac. And God asked Abraham to be willing to give this son back to him. Abraham was willing to give it back to God. And God tested Abraham. And, and, and Abraham forever realized that my son doesn't belong to me. He belongs to God. Which as a parent is such a helpful attitude to realize that these children are a gift from God. They don't belong to me. And so as the nation grew and the nation followed God and fell away from God and followed God and fell away from God. There was a long season of 400 years in which the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, were enslaved in Egypt under Pharaoh. And Pharaoh and his, and his pantheon of gods... All these gods they served and they were in slavery and God raised up Moses to come in and be God's mouthpiece to lead his people out of Egypt. So they left Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea and now they're on the other side of this Red Sea, free of Pharaoh, totally free. And God promised them, hey, you're going to enter the promised land I've prepared for you. A land in the Hebrew literally means oozing with milk and honey. In other words, it's an unbelievably fertile and glorious land for you. And so as they are now traveling in this land and getting ready to enter the promised land, the people grumbled against God. The people disobeyed God. The people pushed against God. They went back to their tents and said, why did he leave us out of Egypt? We had such better lives as slaves. Because of their disobedience, because of their grumbling, God then banned that first generation from entering the promised land. And then Moses got so frustrated with the grumbling of the people, Moses disobeyed God, striking a rock in anger in order to bring water out. And God then banned Moses even from entering the promised land. So now you've got Moses, the guy who led people out of Israel. You've got all the people that were in slavery who've come out. Now they're in the wilderness and God leads them in the wilderness, in circles for 40 years. And God says, not till the very last one of that disobedient generation dies, will the next generation be the ones to head into the promised land. So you've got Joshua taking Moses' place. 
And you've got now parents looking at their children and saying, I'm not going to be allowed to enter the promised land, but you are, you and your children's children. So imagine Moses now addressing the people, saying to them, here's what you have to know. I'm not going with you, but please follow what I'm about to say. That's the backdrop of Deuteronomy 6, verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and laws. The Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing to the Jordan to possess. You notice how he says that? You're going, I'm not. Listen to me, I can't come with you. Imagine the urgency. As a parent, you sit down your kid as they're leaving for college or their first summer away from home and you've got all this urgent instruction for them because you can't be with them to protect them. Or the first day I put the girls on the bus on their way to school and we have our little meltdown in the car crying, Angela and I, because, or, or we dropped them off at school and we're crying because it's like, oh man, we got to trust the school's going to protect them and love them. This is him. Uh, Look at verse 2. So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. We'll keep going. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. So you notice a theme here? Obey, 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 obey. In other words, don't be like us. If you want to succeed, if you want to be prosperous and multiply, obey God. Don't turn your back on him. We did and we're not able to go in. Let's keep going. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. So this first part, verse 4 there, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's called the Shema. And it's a, it's a part of the, the Jewish faith. It's part of uh, all the way back to this moment thousands of years ago. This is said every morning by anyone who's serious about their Judaism from this day forward. It's a reminder. It's a recitation. It's saying, the Lord your God is one. This was during a time with multiple deities. There were all kinds of gods being worshipped in the ancient Near East. There are writings about all of them. And the ways that you are to worship them. And the ways that you are to please them. And and most of these gods at that time, in fact, all of these gods at that time, were worshipped through transactions. You brought this type of sacrifice, and then maybe they would bless your crops. You brought this number of children and possessions, and then maybe the fertility will come to your farm. All of these relationships with the deities of this time were based on getting what you wanted by fulfilling some expectation they had, usually money, relationships, family, wealth, that sort of thing. But look what God does here. God reminds them that he is the only one. He is the only God. And look what he says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. This is revolutionary. He's saying, I want you to not just follow me, to not just obey me, to not just fear me, to not just walk in these statutes that I'm going to lay out for you. I want you to love me. This is the appearance of a relational God. This is unheard of in the ancient Near East. Unheard of in that world. Nobody loved Baal. They were afraid they cut their arms and tried to get his attention. Nobody loved him. And here is God saying, I want you to follow me, but I want you most of all to love me. And not just to love me, to love me with all of your heart and all of your soul and with all of your strength. In other words, don't hold anything back. Give me your life. Give me everything you have. Don't hold it back. And for those of you that that know the New Testament... And I remember in the New Testament, this is quoted. And when it's quoted in the New Testament, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's confounded people for a long time. Here's the, here's the basic difference. In Hebrew, there's, there's a word lev. And lev is translated both heart and mind. There's no separation in the Hebrew. The Greeks, much more intellectually stimulated, much more focused on the mind and intellect, they, they created two words for the heart and the mind. Welcome to our struggle. 
How many of us have said, boy, I just, I feel like I struggle to love God with my heart, but I love him with my mind. Or I know what I'm supposed to do, but my heart just keeps doing the wrong thing. That's why that's there. Love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. In verse six, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Again, hearts and minds, same word there. So it's to be deeply impressed. And look what he says in verse seven, impress them on your children. Talk about to them when you sit at home and when you walk, walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Saying, teach this to your kids, but don't just teach it to them in a classroom. He says, talk about it when you're sitting and when you're walking and when you're laying down at night and when you're getting up in the morning. In other words, this is the antidote to hypocrisy. How many of us grew up in families? We're like, boy, my, my parents did one thing at church or one thing in public, but boy, behind the scenes, it was a whole nother story. There's a whole generation of of believers struggling with that hypocrisy they saw in their home. Probably the highest praise that someone can get about their faith from from their children is just simply, my parents lived it out. Whether everyone was around or no one was around, there was an integrity to their faith. So this here is saying, again, Moses talking to the people saying, teach your children to follow these ways or we'll be lost as a people group. It was very important for Moses to walk through all of that. So now we get down to this idea that you are not alone. And I want want you to take three things away from this. If you remember these three statements, um, three things to take away. Number one, every kid needs an adult other than their parents speaking into their lives. Every kid needs an adult other than their parent speaking into their lives. Now, for some of you, that just raised a little insecurity flag. Like, well, but hey, I want to be their special guy. <laughs> I, want, I don't want someone else muscling in. No, this is a selfless thing. How many times have you had your kid come back from something a teacher said or a youth leader said or a K kids were and they're like, you know what I learned today? And they say it and you're like, you didn't learn that, you little punk. I've told you that a thousand times. How dare you ascribe that to that person? But sometimes hearing it from another voice helps us to learn. It's a beautiful thing to have another adult other than your parents speaking into your child's life. That's, that's one thing. Secondly, then grow in your relationship with those who are speaking into your child's life. Grow in relationship with them. In other words, partner with them. Get to know them. You know, we've got a, a new student ministry person coming in here next week. We're super excited about that. If you've got kids in middle school and high school, get to know them. Get coffee with them. Find out how can we partner together to see my child love Jesus and walk with him and follow him as he goes. And lastly, we have choose predetermined submission to God in your parenting. That's a pretty fancy way to say that opening illustration. We plan everything else out. You've got your bag packed. If the labor pains come and you're out the door and you've got your route figured out and everything else is ready, you've got your doctor ready, your preferred hospital, everything's ready to go. But how many of us have predetermined that as parents, we're going to submit to God? In other words, that Abraham moment where we say, Isaac belongs to you. This is your child, God. You've entrusted this child to me. You've given me this honor to raise it, but ultimately she or he belongs to you. Choosing predetermined submission to God in your parenting. And, and this, is, this is the thought we want you to take away here. Two combined influences will make a greater impact than just two influences. In other words, your kids are going to hear other voices, teachers, other leaders, but boy, if they're combined, if they're unified, if it's the church working with the parents, if we bring those two things together and we're on the same page, it's going to make a greater impact than what's just going to happen without intentionality. It's, it's a great idea. It's a great thought. So these are the two questions that I want to ask you. Who other than me will my child go to? Who other than me can they go to? Who do they free, feel free to go to to ask deep questions? Who other than me will they go to? And then the flip side is, whose life outside of my own child's will I choose to invest into? So this is the service piece. This is the we're not alone. This is you saying, hey, I want someone to be investing in my child, but I also am willing to invest into their children and to see that development happen through multiple influences and multiple lives. You are not alone. We are in this together. 
This challenge of parenting, following God's way for parenting, has been a challenge all the way back to the beginning of our story and our faith. But we want to invite you to entrust us to speak into your child's life. And we want to just empower you as parents to know what to say into your child's life. Now, we've got an incredible video to watch about some of our kids from our student ministry, from our EDGE student ministry. And we want to see what they have to say about that combination when, when parents and when the church work together to see kids grow up to love Jesus. Check this out. pray that you give us the words to speak through us and to the people who are going to watch this video. And just be a testimony of what you've done in their life. So we love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Cool. Take one. Why don't you guys share a little bit about how you guys met and became so close? We text. We call. We Snapchat. Social media, man. (laughs) Bonded a lot, worship together. Yeah, well, when we're worshiping at Edge, he'll he'll be sitting down struggling. I'm like, I got you, yeah. God's with you, and all that stuff. And we're just there for each other ever since then. He's just a brother who's got my back. He's the brother who's got my back. That's awesome. So, how do you feel like your like what you learned with your families or through Edge and Breakaway like set you up to really bring your faith outside of church? Yeah, Breakaway and Edge is such a place where you just walk in and you're safe and it's literally like my second home and my (laughs) lifelong friends like my best friends are from edge like that Mm -hmm. I met and built relationships with and everyone who goes are just real and like they they want they care about you like you'll walk in and you'll be alone and someone from edge will be like hey come sit with me my friends like and I couldn't encourage you more to just go for it So one of the small group leaders at at Edge, um, I met with her towards the beginning of the year, and she was talking about how when you get to college, there's one of two outcomes. Either you continue to follow Christ, or you fall off and you fall into the ways of the world. And I think that just, like, really shifted my perspective, and I was like, wow, like, I only want to, like, follow Christ. Can you guys, like, recall maybe a specific moment um, at home with mom and dad or the family where like you really saw your parents leading you to Jesus and helping your relationship with God. My parents came to this church because of the K-Rock program that was here and that was the year my parents almost got a divorce actually so it was super hard for my family. You know my parents like definitely could have taken the easy way out and like left each other but the service that was going on like the message that they heard was like in a marriage like you got to fight for one another and you got to fight for your family like sometimes it's going to be hard like my family isn't perfect like we have our issues a lot but because like we have God we have like a foundation in sixth grade my father passed away and that was probably the hardest times for me seventh and sixth grade that's when I really started to like think about thoughts of suicide and my mom stayed really, really strong while I got really low. And she would, take, she would take me to church every Sunday morning and talk about every single day how God is great and why He will never leave you no matter what, even at your lowest times. So what would you say to like families or students um, of kind of the importance of creating God at the center of your family environment? Well, what me and my family do is before dinner we pray and we read a little bit of scripture. I think that that's also really important because it's just a time that our whole family can connect and talk about God, which really doesn't happen because we're all so busy. I wouldn't be here without my parents. I wouldn't be at this church. I wouldn't even believe in God without my parents. And to think of that, it's pretty insane because my like your parents have such a huge impact on who you are like as a person and who you become. And there's so much importance and like pouring into your kid and letting them know how loved they are and how much Jesus loves them too.
beautiful picture when you see parents loving their kids, but also entrusting them to student ministry and to volunteers and to youth pastors and youth leaders that love your kids. And and I can tell you, as someone who spent 10 years of my life working in student ministry, we didn't have any kids during that time. In fact, Angela and I remember one time pulled the car off the road and looked at each other. And she looked at me, she's like, you know what? And this is after several failed attempts at at, uh, having children ourselves. And we were just very low and very discouraged. And she said, you know, maybe, maybe we're just not meant to have kids. And she said, babe, if that's the truth, then I just want you to know you're enough for me. And it was this beautiful moment. But I felt so much sadness in what she said. And I said, honestly, maybe God's created us to just love other people's children as if they're our own. And we did. We loved these students They weren't our biological children, that's for sure. But boy, we cried with them. We loved to see them have breakthroughs. I remember driving kids home from root canals and wisdom teeth surgeries, you know, and and being just to help parents out in those moments, going to their games, cheering them on. My goodness, it's such a beautiful thing. When you invite us into your family to be a part of it, that's an honor to us. But invite us in because you're not alone. We're in this together. And for some of you, maybe you're over there, maybe you're, you're in a season like Angela and I were in, where maybe God hasn't given you children yet, or, or, or you, you haven't uh, found a mate yet, or, or whatever your situation is, or maybe you're divorced or whatever, and you're like, you feel this ache on a day like today. Well, we would love to invite you to serve with us. Jump into our K-Kids program and pour into some little ones. Volunteer at Breakaway or Edge and just get plugged in. I'm telling you, God can use you in the life of a child in such a powerful way. Because two influences are better than one. Especially two combined influences pouring into a child's life. You're not alone. We're in this together. So as you leave today, I want to invite you into something. We have, we have a... A decal for you. Something that you'll remember today's message by. And it's going to go on the screen behind me, I think. And I also put it inside my Bible. Is it going to be up there? Um, If not, it's the reference Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Can you see that a little bit? All right. I was was, uh, told that this will peel off without doing any damage. But I just in case, I put it on the inside page, not the front cover. Um, And, uh, but yeah, that's Deuteronomy six, four through nine. And this is that part of the Shema and the following verses about reminding you as a parent to love the Lord, your God, the Lord, he is one and to love the Lord, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. Do we have those other verses to read up there, Allie? So we did through verse seven and then we've got eight and nine and tie them. As symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. It's this beautiful picture of just saying, remind yourselves, don't forget this incredible invitation we have. To love God and to love our families and to lead them well. So as you leave, we've got one of these per family. Put it on your laptop, put it on your mirror, put it in your car, wherever you want to go. If you've got a dark door, it's kind of white, so white door wouldn't really work very well. But, but grab one on your way out and let's, let's realize we're in this together. And we're walking three more weeks through this series. Just excited to see what God does through it. So you stand up with me and I'm going to pray. And then you are going to be dismissed out to starting point. If you're new, get connected. If you want to sign up for that intentional parenting course, we're making that available for you starting in March. We'd love to invite you into that. God, I thank you for today. And and God, as, as a parent, I'm incredibly encouraged. By, by what we covered today, and I was inspired and reminded and even convicted to be more intentional in how I love my girls and how I lead them and in inviting even more people into our journey as a family. I pray over this group, God, I pray that you would just lead us and guide us and give us that humility and inspiration to love our children well and to recognize that they are gifts from you and ultimately they belong to you. I thank you for everything that happened today. I pray you give us all a safe journey home on these roads and bringing those out to the second service. Keep them safe as well. It's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ we ask it. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you for coming.